live in a small town in East Yorkshire, the northeast of England, and the majority of the population are older ladies and gents. It's sort of known as a retirement town as it's quiet and by the sea. Oh, and there are two very large graveyards on each end of the town. It was about seven to eight years ago, so I was about 12 or 13, living in a three-bedroom house with my mom and my older sister, our dog, a cavapoo, and two cats. We lived in this house for months without any issues. It was just an old, normal house. Nothing out of the ordinary. At all. Months after moving in, however, I noticed that our cats would stare at a corner in the living room. They would sit perfectly still, as if they were out hunting birds or something, and stare at the corner for at least half an hour at a time. I didn't think anything of it. Cats can be weird like that. It wasn't until our dog started barking at the same corner that I got a little concerned. Still, animals can be odd, so again, I didn't think anything of it. It was not long after that that I began to hear sounds coming from upstairs. It wasn't anything loud or really that obvious. It was a quiet, creaking noise, like someone was walking around upstairs. Both cats were outside, the dog was with us, and everyone was downstairs. There was no one up there. But still, I heard this gentle pacing, just walking around in circles. It would happen a few times a week, usually around lunchtime or the early evening. I wasn't the only one that could hear it, either. Then, the creepy happenings progressed. Our PC would turn itself on multiple times a day, and would sound like it was firing up, even if it was unplugged. Our television turned itself on, too. Our fire alarm started going off multiple times in a night, at least once a week. I hated being in the house alone. It made me so uneasy. I tried to come up with logical explanations for everything happening. An electrical fault, perhaps. And animals being weird. A draft upstairs. But I still couldn't shake the feeling that there was an unexpected visitor in the house. Call it a gut instinct. One day, I was sitting on the stairs playing my DS, home alone for a reason I can't remember, when I suddenly went ice cold. It was like all heat in the house just vanished. I could feel puffs of air on the back of my neck, like breathing. I was frozen in fear, or frozen from the sudden cold, I'm not sure. I shot up to a standing position and ran to the bottom of the stairs to check the front door for a draft. I checked all the windows in the house. Nothing. There was no draft from anywhere, and it was a warm day anyway. I ran to my bedroom and leapt under my covers, and I refused to move until someone else came home. So, there was a cat staring, and the dog barking at the corner. The PC and TV turning themselves on. The fire alarm going off in the middle of the night. The walking around upstairs. And finally, the icy cold breathing on my neck. Suffice it to say, I tried to avoid staying in that house alone from then on until we moved out a year later. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Hayden. And this is Goal Intentions. Woo! Oh my god, we got to it immediately. <laughs> immediately. Has that ever happened? I don't know. Maybe like the first episode. 
I don't remember. I don't remember either. But I'm excited about it. I'm very proud of us. Yeah. (laughs) How are you today, my love? I am great. How are you? Good. 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 Yeah, I like it. It's a nice, mild day. It's a little overcast, which is my favorite. Well, and we've we've had brunch. We have had pancakes. How bad can the day be? Buckwheat pancakes. Gluten-free pancakes that are delicious. Yeah, we have my chocolate mochas. That's true. I'm very happy. Me too. Yeah, we're on our second mule. Yeah, we are. On our way to our third and our fourth and our fifth. (laughs) I'm going to need them to do because the shit we're covering today is... Intense. Ooh, it's weird and awesome. I'm excited to hear about it. Um... But first, thank you, Chloe, for that cold open. Mm-hmm. We enjoyed your story. Nice uh, and creepy. Nice good. and creepy. Just a good. good classic, this is a haunted fucking house. And um, I debated doing that with a British accent, but I uh, didn't want to offend anyone. I don't think people find British accents. No, I mean, if I don't want to offend yeah. her. Because there's so many different. It's That's just true. like the states. There's so many different types of I accents. Don't I don't. I don't. You find, know? In my experience, I don't find the British people to be very um, persnickety about accents. I mean, they'll tell you what you're doing wrong, but they're not right. like, offended by it. They're Here's like, the thing, though. I don't want to know what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good That's reason. That's good enough reason. Where that? An accent. Yeah. But, uh, um, story, though. It's a, yeah. Yeah. Very I can, good. I just, I've been there. Been there. Yeah. It's, so creepy. Uh, and with and the animals and animals, it's animals are a good, good indicator that something's up. Something's up. Yeah, it's not time, quite right. I had a cat for the longest time, mm-hmm. and cats can be assholes. They love to just freak out their humans by being like, "I'm going to pretend something in that other room is, yeah, you know, got my attention." And mm-hmm. Like what? And then the cat's he goes to sleep, forgets about it. You're up for the rest of the night thinking there's a fucking axe wielding clown in the next room. Yeah, and the cats. It's by design. The cats. Oh, they totally do it on purpose. That. But but when a dog does it, Genji, <laughs> who's not very vocal, Mm-mm. as well you know. Like one night when I was out of town and Brandon was was staying at home by himself with with the dog, and um, when I'm gone, Genji will sleep in the bedroom with Brandon because he doesn't. You know, normally he's um, during the week he'll sleep in his kennel out in the living room but you know on the weekends we let him sleep in the room and if one of us is gone he'll sleep on the bed where the other one normally would sleep right so he can because he can really stretch it out and one night just not so long ago uh brandon woke up he has he had earplugs in so genji had to be barking pretty loud right you have also you have to have earplugs in if you're sleeping anywhere around genji yes he snores so loud like it's Dot loud. snores. Dexter doesn't really snore. Every once in a while, it's like, why is he snoring? He doesn't snore, which is funny because he has the squished ear and face. Mm-hmm. That's a term, right? Squished ear in. Sure. Um, it sounds like you're saying squished urine. No, squished ear in face. There you go. Squished ear in face. <laughs> um, but Dot snores really loud when she sleeps. And Genji snores like my but father. It's not like anything Genji. No, Genji it's is so, so loud. loud. Like we leave him downstairs because it's so loud. Yeah. We can still hear him. We have to upstairs. put him in the, kennel, in the living room. Mm-hmm. And there's a concrete wall between us and yeah. him. And we still have to turn on, like the door has to be shut. Yeah. And we have to turn on this air filter that's like almost as loud as it can go and still have to put in earplugs not yeah. to let that sound bar because he's it's so, so loud. loud. I'm sure I'm surprised neighbors haven't complained. Right. But, um, um, Dot, though, we just put her in the closet. We have a little bed in the bottom of my closet. Dexter goes in there too, and they know. Then they shut the door, and and then it's fine. But but Genji does not bark. He only barks when he's scared. Yeah. Um, Or if Dexter is barking, he'll bark with Dexter. 
but he doesn't he doesn't alarm bark very much because no. nothing gets to him. He's like, cool, someone's here. Like if he hears a knock at the door, he goes to it because he wants to see who it is. But yeah. He doesn't bark. Yeah, his expression um, is not a lie. He is fresh out of fucks all the time. All the time. <laughs> and nothing really scares him. Like right, uh, no, you know, really... fireworks don't bother him, loud noises mm-hmm. don't tend to bother him. He's just he's a pretty chill dog. In fact, he was so chill that when we first got him, we thought he might have a hearing problem. Yeah, I thought because that. Because he just didn't react yeah. to stuff, uh, noises. But turns out he Or like calling his name. Well, he still doesn't do that. That's just because he's stubborn. But um, (laughs) he's just like, that's the name you gave me. My real name is my name, and you'll never know that because I don't want you to have that power for me. It's like mixed with clicks or something. But anyway, (laughs) so he Brandon woke up to the sound of Genji barking like angry, frightened barking at the door, bedroom door. And so Brandon gets up and is like, what the fuck? And, you know, slowly opens the door and lets Genji go out there to investigate because he's in this weird mode he doesn't usually get in where he's like defensive. And so he goes out and investigate. There's nothing there. And then he looks around and he's like, okay, cool. I just want to make sure. And then he goes back to the bedroom like nothing happened. And Brandon's like, well, fuck. Now I think there's a goddamn, you know. Yeah, something. Now I think Pennywise is mm-hmm. in the Clearly. kitchen. And, uh, but that's weird. And he's been doing things like that more and more lately. <gasps> Whoopsies. Ghosts. Whoopsies. Ghosts. Um, so I. Listen to your Leela is. It's good policy. Leela's chill, too, unless mm-hmm. she barks for a couple of things. One, you <laughs> have locked her out of where she should be, which is with you. Yeah. And and that bark is a very, like, hey, And she's not hey, okay with that. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, it's very, you, I mean, I'm sure you, it's in the, the oh, podcast yeah. it's, somewhere. It's, it's, it's absolutely, yeah. A couple of times. Um, and then I have to go get her because <laughs> she will not stop. Um, and then... The other thing she'll do is if she'll like bark at the dogs to get them to shut up because you know she wants the kids off of her lawn. She's very old and grumpy now. <laughs> yeah, she's like, she's sweet with people though. She's yeah, the sweetest she, oh, little she's thing. The sweetest thing. And the dog. She's like, shut up. She is not ready for their shit. She gives fucks so that they will shut up, and that's pretty much mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. And they all know they run away from her if she comes into the room because they're like, ah, oh, she's gonna come spoil our fun. So <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> they uh, there was one time. And this was before I had either Dot or Dexter. And Leela at the time could still see. So she, her cataract hadn't developed. That was terrifying sounding. Was <laughs> weird bark. I know. Followed by a wee, like a little piggy wee, squee. Um, so there was one time that, that she could still see. She hadn't developed that cataract over her eye yet. And uh, she... I, I heard her barking. I was in my bedroom or whatever. I came out into the apartment that I had at the time. It's weird that we're talking about barking. I know, and, and these dogs won't stop these barking. Dogs that have been out there this whole fucking time have decided just barking. now to bark. I'm hoping it'll it won't be too loud in the. I mean, he's a big he's a big guy though. He's a big boy. Yeah, big boy. those are the ones that poop on the balcony for anyone who's followed this story. Um, <laughs> little ancillary characters yeah, of the dog yeah. on the balcony across the way. Um, anyway, so sorry. So. Much like these dogs, <clears throat> I woke up, I think I was asleep, I woke up and I came out and she was standing, sitting in the corner, looking at the corner, like up, like halfway up the wall, and wagging her tail and barking like something was playing with her. Oh, yeah. But it was at the fucking corner, like she was super, like within a, a, a foot, half a foot of the wall, just barking and wagging her tail. And so I went and I picked her up and I was like, let's go to bed! <laughs> She's like, but I want to play with that was the creepy. gingerbread man. Yeah. Or whatever the fuck it is. I just assumed it was my grandfather. Oh, that's nicer. Yeah. That's nicer than some weird ghost that would have the There was another man. time, though, in that same place where uh, I woke up middle of the night. I had just seen Paranormal Activity. Oh. <laughs> so this didn't help. But it sounded like uh, glass had broken or something had hit glass. Startled me awake. I go into the living room, and I had these... Uh, 
coffee tables that had glass. There were uh-huh. like two little end tables that had glass inserts. Do you yeah. remember those? Uh-huh, I do. The wrought iron ones? Yeah. Um, so Leela was kind of to the side and uh, was shaking. Oh. And I saw next to that table a tennis ball. So the tennis ball had hit the glass. That's what I had heard. It didn't break it. It just hit it. It just hit it, it and bounced right off into the carpet. And uh, when I picked her up she, and she was shaking, mm-hmm. she had peed in that spot. Oh, and so, baby. Uh, she Fuck had, that ghost. I know. It was baby. scared of her or something, but it was like the tennis ball was thrown. She's not the kind of dog either that's going to throw a tennis ball herself. It was a real tennis ball, no. too, in her tiny little mouth. Uh, she can't hold a real yeah. tennis ball. So, um, it wasn't something that she would have done. She's not going to entertain herself. No, no, she's not. No. So that was pretty creepy too. And it was the same thing. I was like, let's just go in here. I just picture a mean old ghost being like, want to play ball and like throwing it just to fuck with her. That's mean. Or maybe it was just a, maybe it just shocked her. And they were like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And she was too, by then she was too scared. Now I'm, now I'm. Now I'm terrified. What's the, uh. The title! Yeah, what's the title today? Um, Sorry. It is episode 28, by the way. What the fuck? Damn, clink. Clink. That wasn't it. They're very full, so they're, they're not very clinking. Full, so there's not a lot of resonance Mm-mm. there. I love these <clears throat> mugs, though. I know. We they're have so fucking awesome. We have gifted mugs. We, I think a few weeks ago, we, we put them on Instagram. Yeah. J&J presents... Mule intentions. It's great. We love them. We love Daniel these. Gabriel. So, so fucking awesome, and they're the perfect size for mules as I make them. They, yeah, that's right. As it turns out, that's which right. is funny little uh, little kismet. Yes. So mm. the possibility of darkness. Oh my God, where's it coming from? Uh, big surprise. Stephen King. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, the the entire quote is it was the possibility of darkness that made the day seem so bright. Mm-hmm. And uh, knowing what you were doing <clears throat> and knowing what I was doing, I thought that this was apropos. And uh, it's really funny. I was like, it's Stephen King because I was looking through different quotes. And Jack was like, oh, yeah, it's Dark Tower 4. I was like, what? Of course Jack knows that. He just knew that. Yeah. So that's from Dark that. Tower 4. Uh, yeah. So the possibility of darkness. Uh, and Speaking um, of Jack, has he had any more paranormal experiences? He has not. Only matter of time. Not yet. That I know of. Once the third eye is open. Uh oh. Crazy. Sorry, John. Sorry, I still love the idea of him just. Now hold on. Now hold on. Now hold on. That's weird. That's weird. That's real weird. weird. Huh. Huh. <laughs> yeah, but you can tell, right? Talking to him, that it's like something's different. Fucks with him. Yeah. yeah it's 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 made him it's go. It's just well, God, you guys. It's so know. rewarding. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it, it really is validating is. to be like when someone who's a skeptic goes, "All right, you that know was what? weird. Maybe it's not bullshit. That's right. Makes you go. I saw a ghost. Now he says it. it. I saw a ghost. But I saw a ghostical. A ghostical. <laughs> he does say ghostical. <laughs> and it's not a statue. That's what's important. Not a statue. Why would that work? Well, because what? we. We would say ghosts, like, so we say ghostical, right? And anytime we go somewhere that has statues, he's like, it's a ghostical. And just so you know, if you ever go to Italy, there's ghosticals. There are ghosticals everywhere. Yeah, everywhere we went. It's ghostical. It's ghostical. All right. We get it. It's yeah. fun. No ghosts. We saw no ghosts in, in Italy. Had well, to come there's no room for them. Too many statues. Too many statues. Too many churches. Did you know that that the there's this idea. That uh, a hey, ghost, school of thought. a school of thought, <laughs> but I don't believe it. That uh, ghosts can't appear on consecrated ground, 
And since there are so many churches, uh-huh. uh, that's a lot of stories about ghost stories. monks and ghost nuns. Right. Seem to argue against I that know. logic. But, you know, that's fine. Which I spoke to a priest recently about uh, ghosts and yeah. Catholic and all of that kind of stuff. It was like great, the, lovely. What the Catholic position is on Yeah, on and so it's kind of like the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is like the spiritual realm, right? Yeah. And so they, uh, there is a belief that two uh, people will be in purgatory, and so mm-hmm. they're not making it to heaven, and they have to do certain acts mm-hmm. to, to earn their way into heaven, right? Well, uh, sometimes God will allow those people to ask for help. And so some ghosts, they think they're either angels, they think they're either demons, or there's someone stuck in purgatory right. that is asking for help to get hmm. to do what they're supposed to do. And I'm sure there's more to it than that, but we, we talked about it and narrowed it down to that. And he told me this really great story oh God, about yes. a uh, priest that had passed away and people started seeing him in the church praying. And um, so... They got. They brought in because like parishes have their own exorcists, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they go and they bless the you know bless houses and stuff like that. And we, <laughs> he goes. They, they they basically bring people the other priests and they do a priest ghost hunt. I want to go on one. I those. know. And they did through a series of knocks and back and forth. They found out that this priest. Um, like they were communicating. They were with communicating like, with like them. Where the Fox sisters used to. Yes, like, no. yes. Ooh, um, they happens. found a file. Like they were directed to this file, and it had all of these prayer requests that I guess he hadn't done, and it was kind of like, you know, um, prayer requests for things, for donations, for assistance, for volunteering. Okay. These are my prayer requests. So it's kind of like an exchange, I guess. I'm not Catholic, so I don't know exactly what the terminology is there, but. Uh, they found all of these cards, and he had never fulfilled those prayers for those people. So they spread unfinished them business. unfinished business. So they they spread them around different priests around different parishes nearby. Mm-hmm. And when they all finished it, they like kept in touch. And when they finished it, they let each other know. And after the last ones were done, he never showed up again. Wow! Yeah, and that's I was like, so that's cool. A, I that's love- a priest ghost story it's a priestly ghost i love story. it i loved it it was great he was awesome he they was... better have some ghost stories because they have the longest history i know i know it was really cool though to talk to him um and just kind of hear that perspective on, on so many things here's perspective on so many things it was That's great fascinating yeah and he was like 30 oh, wow. which was cool That's, huh. yeah he really likes some anime Fresh it was great anime. we really yeah. got all, yeah it was good that's really cool mm-hmm. huh huh but anyway that's uh, that's really awesome so um Shall I get to mine? Yeah. Do I want to do... Uh, shall I go ahead and dive into mine? Dive in. I'm dying to, because this is one of my favorite stories. Dive I learned a lot in. about it. So, um, I'm going to start. So, I'm, today, uh-huh. my topic is how how much do you, Jamie, know about the Mothman of Point um, Pleasant, West Virginia? Point Pleasant. I've seen the movie okay. with Richard Mothman Gere. Prophecies, right? yes. Which is based on the book, John Keel, which, incidentally... For those of you, for those of you that are want, want to be readers, that's the book that a lot of this information comes from. Mm-hmm. It's come mm-hmm. from John Keel, uh, K E E L, uh, wrote the Mothman prophecies in I think 1975, just a few uh, less than a decade after the events he describes, and that's where a lot of this information comes from. And right. it's what the the movie is based on too. Okay, so I know the movie, and uh, <laughs> a lot of people 
and and some other stuff you know that I've seen around but that people saw multiple people yes. saw this Mothman a lot um, and it was more like an omen kind of of a very terrible tragedy with a bridge and the yes. crashing and the deaths and the Yes. That's what I. That's what I know right now that's, off the top of my head. That's kind of the bare bones of it. We'll get into specifics. I got an outline. Woohoo! Get an outline, but there's actually a lot more. There's a lot weirder shit uh, oh, that yeah? involves this. Um, so let's just let's just dive right in. So on December fifteenth, nineteen sixty-seven, just ten days before Christmas, bear in mind, the worst infrastructure disaster in American history would claim the lives of almost four dozen people. Uh, it would also prove to be a kind of tragic climax to one of the strangest paranormal cases ever put on record. The Silver Bridge, which was a 700-foot-long, what's called an Ibar chain suspension bridge. They were very popular in the first part of the 20th century. Um, an Ibar... Ibar chain suspension, suspension bridge. bridge. It connected uh, a t- the town of Gallipolis, Ohio, to the tiny town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. It collapsed at the height of rush hour in the mm. evening, plunging motorists into the icy Ohio River below, killing a total of 46 and injuring 46. many, many, wow. many others. Now, a subsequent investigation found the bridge had been poorly maintained since its construction in 1928. Uh, this and regular traffic of loads it was never designed to support caused a single eye bar to crack from stress corrosion, which is all it One. took for the whole fucking thing to come down. And those bridges are popular? Uh, they were. So after this tragedy happened, actually, it started this national conversation about, like, we have to replace all these eye-bar chain suspension right. bridges because they're not, they were just never meant to bear the kind of loads that the popularity of the automobile would prove right. to be. So they're like, so it changed everything. So now it's like it, now six horse and buggies. Like, it's not supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. So you don't find these bridges much anymore because a lot of them came down or a lot of them were replaced right. with, with. If I would say, say, if you do find them, don't take them. Yeah, the, the ones that are still around tend to be footbridges. Okay. Now, but most, uh, if not all, of uh, the remaining bridges over rivers or, or lakes or whatever that uh, cars traverse are not Ibar suspension right. bridges. Right. Not that they're, they don't need work, too. More. Let's be real about um, that. Huh? I said not that they don't need work, too. True. Um, now, again, that's 46 people that yeah. lost their lives. What year was that? Um, yeah. 1967. Hmm. And so with a population of just over 4,000 at the time, in fact, it still has just over 4,000 people living there, odds were good if you lived in Point Pleasant, you knew at least one person who perished that fateful evening. Interestingly enough, nightmares about the disaster hounded several residents of Point Pleasant in the weeks leading up to the disaster, plagued by visions of beautifully wrapped Christmas presents floating in the river's murky depths amid twisted wreckage and drowned bodies, the dreamers shared more in common, it turns out, than just unsettling portents of the Silver Bridge tragedy. During the year prior, just about all of these people had gotten up close and personal with the Mothman and his unearthly retinue. It wasn't retinue? just him. Retinue. Retinue. How do you spell that? Retinue. Fine, I could say I've tapped the T. Retinue. Oh. I just... R-E-T-I-N-U. What does it mean? Retinue. Like like your people. Your posse. Oh. Retinue. 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 All right. I like retinue. it. <laughs> like I am in your retinue. You are in my retinue. <laughs> and you are in mine. You're like a moderator of my retinue. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the standard bearer. 
<laughs> the ensign. There we so, go. Um, so I want to talk a second about the name Mothman, because as great and as terrifying as the story is, Mothman, for my money, has to be the dumbest fucking name. We've had this conversation. For any creature. That was like a journalist, right? Uh, it was. Yeah. And I did some research, and I think I found out who it was mm. that coined out the them. name. So, um, is a guy by the name of Pat Siller who produced one of the first syndicated articles that about the inc- the first incident uh, on record about it, and in it he calls it Mothman. Now, why he would settle on the name Mothman, we will never know. But on the night of November sixteenth, nineteen sixty-six, this was thirteen months before the Silver Bridge would collapse. He was busy churning out a fluff piece for the Huntington Herald Dispatch uh, about four teenagers misidentifying a sandhill crane. And now the TV show Batman had premiered earlier that year and against all odds was soaring in the Nielsen ratings. No, 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 no. Exactly. So readers would catch the reference. Now the creature was described by those who saw it first, 19-year-old Roger and Linda Scarberry and their friends the Millettes. They said it could fly. It had, in fact... Uh, zigzagged in the air above their car at over 100 miles an hour. It's also not hard to imagine Pat sitting there working on this piece and his memory of the aerial chase described by the teenagers mm-hmm. in that morning's press conference is suddenly <laughs> scored by the Batman theme. Mothman! Right. And so uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, because I mean, why not Birdman or Owlman? Because whatever this was, the, the witnesses described it as being as having a ten foot wingspan, That's with big. legs like a human being and and wings like an angel. And whatever the young couples had seen. What if it was uh, just like an angel? Well, we'll get to that. Okay. Um, now, whatever the young couples had seen out by the so-called TNT area off Route 62, and we'll get into all that in a second, bore little resemblance to an insect, even when you allowed for the massive glowing red eyes. Maybe Pat thought well, the beast was attracted to their headlights. Anyway, <laughs> I think we can all agree that print deadlines aren't known for summoning first-rate inspiration, especially if it's a back-page piece. For better I feel or worse, like you feel strongly about that. It's just such a stupid name it for is. something so terrifying. Yeah. Owlman is at least better. No. Because owls are... Well, owls are a little more frightening than moths. No, and Owlman, I feel like he's just really wise and he likes uh, Tootsie Pops. Like, that's what I think of when... Well, that's where well, you would have thought that because of the 80s, but this was before that. <laughs> anyway. Just saying. I just don't think we're going to read Mothman is terrible. They could have called it anything else. No, for better or worse, We'll come up with a new stuff. name. When you're done with your story, we'll come up with a new name. <laughs> Well, no, you can't fight it now. It's just, it's... We it's, we can still call it something can, differently. Well, yeah, but we'll still, different. in our hearts, we'll know it's Mothman. Um, for better or worse, the name stuck. But what began as a tongue-in-cheek reference to a campy show, tossed off in smirking disbelief to portray a creature simply too bizarre to take at base value, grew in the coming months to be a watchword for high strangeness. Mm. So, so was that high, just like weird strangeness, or strangeness that happened when people are high? Weird strangeness. Okay. Not a lot of people getting high in Point Pleasant, West Virginia in the nineteen in, in pre hippie era nineteen sixties. I don't know about that. Mm, yeah. You All right. <laughs> There's not a lot of I bet not a lot of I there bet may the, have been some drinking. I bet the times they have a change. <laughs> well now they probably changed. Right. But this was nineteen sixty six. This is well before the hippie revolution. Keel talks a little bit about that in the oh, book because yeah? a lot of these people in retrospect were accused of just being, you know, drugs and addicts and he was like, they're really not. They weren't. No. This wasn't a thing then. But um, Now, so what Pat Siller was writing about 
in, mm-hmm. in Mothman piece was this. So around 11.30 p.m. on the night of November 15th, 1966, Roger and Linda Scarberry, both of them 19, were tooling around in their 57 Chevrolet. Friends Steve Millette and his wife Mary were along for the ride. They were looking for anyone else that might be out and about that night. Um, the long-disused munitions plant off Route 62, which was known as the TNT area, was popular with the young crowd in those days. It was like their drag strip. It was where they went to you know, park. Um, what had during when, the war, when they went parking? Well, what had during the war been a cluster of concrete storage igloos was now the main drag strip and deeper into mm-hmm. the surrounding ro- woods beyond the abandoned power plant. Kids like to park and get a little frisky. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just love the way I said that. I know, I no, did. Okay. Uh, Nowadays, outline... they would have done ghost hunts in the abandoned well, power plant. Well, we'll get that too. Oh, uh, Jesus. So, uh, I, how did I not write this myself? <laughs> Sorry. A few, a few, uh, stop stealing my thunder. <laughs> <laughs> a few outlying bungalows dotted the landscape, but tonight their lights were dark. No one was home. So after a little while, the four uh, teenagers decided to head back to town. As they passed by the old power plant, the headlights bounced off a pair of what looked to be large red globes lurking in the shadows along the building's side. Creepy. the road. Roger slowed the car. These weren't orbs. They were eyes. Nope. Eyes attached to a massive, hulking figure roughly seven feet tall, as if seeing them, it lumbered away into the dark. The stunned teenagers gawked in disbelief to see what looked to be a pair of immense wings folded on its back. Now, wisely, Roger stepped on the gas and got them the fuck out of there. Yeah, Roger, I like... But several minutes later, they spotted the beast again, this time perched on top a hill near the road and hunched over the carcass of a large dog. Linda and Mary shrieked. The creature spread its massive, bat-like wings, launched soundlessly into the air like a helicopter with nary a flap, and started chasing them. It zigzagged above them for over a mile. Mary could hear the creature making bizarre squeaking noises above the engine, like some kind of bizarre, massive rodent. It kept pace, even as Roger gunned it to 100. They were going so fast that when he impulsively turned down a farm road to try and lose their pursuer in the trees, uh, only the two left wheels of the Chevrolet (laughs) were touching the ground. So as he slowed to keep from losing control, uh, Roger saw the creature get out ahead of them, light on the road about 20 feet away, laying down as if to block their path. Oh my gosh. Was it trying to lure them out? The teenager sat panicking and refused to take the bait. After a few moments, uh, Roger threw the Chevrolet in reverse and backed out onto the highway. Again, the creature took flight and followed, but seemed to lose interest as they entered the city limits. Passing the Welcome to Point Pleasant sign, the couples looked back and saw the creature had gone. Ooh, that reminds me. There's another Stephen King quote. Stephen King Queen? Stephen King Queen. (laughs) Queen, Quote, quote. Yeah. Um, Fear stands for fuck everything and run. (laughs) Not. Oh, that's good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So minutes later, uh, the four teenagers had spilled into the police station and frantically told a very puzzled Deputy Millard Halstead what had happened. Now, Halstead knew these kids well, had Mm -hmm. since they were babies, and would later affirm that they seemed genuinely shaking, not just pranking him. That's the thing, too, is like, they're, they're... Kids who got in trouble aren't going to go to the cops for help. No. Right? No. So the fact with their friends. Yeah. But to go to the cops for a prank, that is that is dangerous, especially by you know small town. You don't illegal. Yeah, and Um, you know that your dad probably 
you know, drinks with his, the, the sheriff yeah. or, you know, what? Yeah. yeah. So it just doesn't make sense that they would do that anyway. Well, so Halstead was convinced something had happened, so he hopped into his patrol car and followed Roger back out to the TNT area, where, alas, no sign of the creature was in evidence, nor was the dog carcass. Mm. Um, however, while he was parked outside the power plant just to see what would happen, a piercing radio signal suddenly drowned out the dispatcher. It sounded, he said, like a record being played at high speed. I can imagine Deputy Halstead just kind of looked in the dark near the power <laughs> plant and suddenly thought better of searching it on his own, mm-hmm. called it a night, and decided to head back home. Now, Sheriff George Johnson called a press conference the next morning. The teenagers held their own against a barrage of questions from local reporters, even refuting uh, the suggestion from wildlife expert Dr. Robert Smith that what they'd seen was just a large sandhill crane blown off its migration course. The kids were like, fuck that. We know what a crane looks like. Right. This wasn't a crane. Yeah. Um, way too big. The wings looked weird. It also took flight. And this is a theme that we'll see. Whenever this creature flies, the wings aren't moving. They're it's spread, just glides. but they don't move. It's like it glides. And it's incredibly fast. And the thing is too big to... and. Uh, because of its size, we can kind of extrapolate how much it must weigh. And there's just, it's this, it shouldn't be able to fly. Mm-hmm. There's just no way this thing can fly the way it does. Did, because it, it just rises vertically in the air. Was there a color? Hmm? I bet did that, was there a color? It's usually described as gray, sometimes as gray. brown. Okay. Um, but no, the kids didn't have a color because this was at night. But right. we, we will see others. Now. Well, but at night, if it was like a white white wings they, they would know it was yeah lighter. yeah but anyway sorry. um well so the interview went out to the associated press and thanks of course to pat Silla, the mothman legend was born now these kids weren't the first to see him though um and when the story came out five grave diggers emboldened by the story came forward to tell the point pleasant register that they'd had a somewhat similar experience a few days mm. earlier out near the town of uh clindenin on november 12th while shoveling a fresh plot in the local cemetery they witnessed a brown winged humanoid soar quietly out of the trees and disappear beyond the horizon Mm-hmm. Two nights later, on November 14th, contractor Neil uh, Newell Partridge of Salem, West Virginia, looked up from his malfunctioning television set and out the window to see two red orbs hovering in a tree at the far end of his property. But they were orbs, they were eyes! Stepping out, <laughs> <of> the, <laughs> stepping out of the porch for a closer look, he shined his flashlight at the orbs. They shone back like bicycle reflectors. Mm-hmm. He then realized they were two very large eyes glowering at him from a massive figure crouched in the branches. It let out a blood-curdling shriek and plunged into the air, its wings outstretched and unmoving. Newell's German shepherd, Bandit, took off after it, never to be seen again. Bandit, never let your dog chase the thing! Have we learned nothing? Right, and that it's now thought that that's the dog carcass (gasps) rocking in the Scarberry that the gang saw the following night. Oh, bandit. Now, once these stories came out, uh, things went haywire. Locals and uh, out-of-towners alike piled into their cars and trucks and scoured the TNT area for a glimpse. Many of them brought hunting rifles. Mm. Now, on their way to see Ralph and Virginia Thomas on the night of November 16th, Raymond Wamsley and his wife, Kathy, drove past a truckload of these would-be bounty hunters out near the TNT area and just shook their heads. What these thrill-seekers hoped to accomplish was beyond them. Uh, in the back seat behind Kathy sat their friend Marcella Bennett and her baby girl, Tina. Now, arriving at the Thomas home, one of those little bungalows built within spitting distance of the storage igloos, uh, they discovered Ralph and Virginia were out. They exchanged a few pleasantries with the Thomas children and walked back to the car. 
Some trigger-happy idiot fired off a round in the distance about a mile away. Oh. Suddenly, a figure stirred in the driveway <sighs> near their car. Marcella would later tell writer John Keel that, quote, it seemed as if it had been lying down. It rose up slowly from the ground, a big gray thing, bigger than a man, with terrible glowing red eyes, end quote. These eyes mesmerized her. Letting out a yelp, Marcella dropped baby Tina to the ground, unable to reach down and pick her up. The fiery eyes bored into her from what appeared to be the chest of this towering, effectively headless figure. With eyes in the chest? Now unfolding two enormous wings. Raymond grabbed her and the baby, booked it inside with Kathy and the the rest, locked the front door, uh, told the children to hunker down, and called the police. Fuck everything and run. The women and children screamed. The creature, as he was calling, was now bobbing from window to window, peering in (gasps) with those horrible eyes. But look at his chest eyes. With his chest eyes. He's just sticking his titties at the window. (laughs) His eyes. By the two, That's by like the Resident Evil 2. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? He's got eye titties all over his chest. Eye titties, eye titties. Ooh, is it cold in here? Or am I, <laughs> is that just my eye titties? Or am I just nearsighted? Um, <laughs> oh my and god. By the time police got there, of course, it was gone. Um, so after this, <laughs> there was a frenzy of more sightings. On the morning of November 17th, music teacher named Mary Gross was awakened around 4.45 a.m. by the sound of her small terrier pitching a fit. She looked out the kitchen window and saw a giant object hovering above the treetops along Route 7, just opposite her home. The object, she said, this is where it gets weird, was brilliantly lit and appeared to be divided into sections lined with dazzling red and green lights. She watched as it zigzagged, again, that word comes up a lot when describing Mm -hmm. the flight patterns of all these things, zigzagged out of view. Later that day, a young man driving along Route 7 not far from the grouse home saw an impossibly giant bird swoop down at his car and chase it for Mm. about a mile. Fireman Paul Yoder and Benjamin uh, Enix saw a, quote, large bird with glowing red eyes, end quote, while exploring the TNT area on November 18th themselves. Five teenagers driving along Campbell's Creek on November 20th had the scare of their lives when the headlights of their car lit a man-sized bird standing near the rock quarry. I feel like this is a lot, a lot of uh, people seeing shit. Well, and here's the thing. (laughs) Over the court, there's, there's, uh, there are... A hundred witnesses that saw Mothman in this year that are thought to be reliable witnesses. Wow. And that and here's the thing, but they're seeing the Mothman was just the fucking beginning. Right. Um, an unnamed retiree uh, encountered Mothman standing on his front lawn. He'd gone outside to see what his dog was yapping about, only to be transfixed by the trademark red eyes for minutes on end, unaware of how much time was passing. It finally flew off, and the poor old man walked back inside so pale and traumatized his wife thought he was having a heart attack. On November 25th, a young shoe salesman uh, by the name of Thomas Urey was driving along Route 62, just north of the TNT area, when he noticed a tall, gray, man-like figure standing in a field by the road. A massive pair of wings unfolded from behind its back, and in keeping with its M.O., the creature took off straight into the air like a helicopter. It veered toward him and started circling above his convertible. Even as Yuri sped up to 75 miles per hour, the flying monstrosity kept up with little effort, occasionally swooping down as if to attack. He later confided to local columnist Mary Heyer, of whom we'll hear more in a bit, that the pervasive feeling of this encounter was one of panic, but Mm. panic that seemed artificial. 
Indeed, this was to be the underlying theme among every one of Mothman's victims, mm. as if the creature somehow was capable of generating its own anxiety-inducing pheromones. Right. One of the few witnesses... Also who... them eye titties. <laughs> <laughs> Why not eye tit man? <laughs> better than Mothman. I, I like eye tit man. Eye tit man. Um, one of the few witnesses to have seen anything like an actual face on the creature was housewife Ruth Foster of St. Albans, West Virginia, a suburb of Charleston. Mrs. Foster found Mothman skulking beside her front porch on November 26th. She says it was tall, with big red eyes that popped out of its face. She said it, it had a funny little face. But the eyes are in the face in that one. Well, but the face is... It oh, the still face looks like the there's chest. no neck or head. It's just like the face, everything is happening in the chest. Oh, you know? right. So it looks... Like an owl, more like a giant right. owl. I mean, but with the I wings think, on top of on top of it. The wings on the back, on top, like yeah. where the wings kind of, I guess, level. I don't say I don't know, but they all describe like as they, all she remembers is just seeing that she didn't see any kind of beak or any kind of. She mm-hmm. just saw like a little scrunchy face, um, and and of course the big red eyes were popping out, and she screamed, ran inside when her brother-in-law, who was over visiting, came out to investigate what was going on, and it left. Uh, now, the next morning, around 10.30, 18-year-old Connie Carpenter passed the Mason County Golf Course just outside New Haven while she was driving home from church. The greens were deserted, but for a lone gray figure standing near the road. Though whatever it was stood at least seven feet tall, what mm. struck her most were its red eyes. Yeah. Two outsized red globes that so absorbed her, she nearly swerved into a ditch. True to form, a pair of bat-like wings unfolded from behind the creature's back, it launched vertically into the air with little effort and dived toward her car. All Connie could do was duck down below the steering wheel and hit the accelerator. Um, what's interesting about Connie's case is uh, she has a distinction of being the only witness to have come forward who also suffered clegg conjunctivitis, or eye burn, for several weeks following her encounter with the creature. Eye burn? Conjunctivitis? Isn't that normally just pink eye? So what's... It's, the difference. It, well, it's it's not it's clean conjunctivitis. It's not yeah. it's um you get it from radiation. Oh, uh, interesting. Um, interesting. She was also, as it turned out, the niece of Mary Hire. Mary Hire. Which one? Wait, and she's one of the ones that was in the car. No. No, I'm about to tell you about Mary. Hire. Okay. She was a columnist. Okay, she was the niece of Mary Hire. Got yes, it. Yes. No. Now we'll get around that. Now around this time, Mary Hire, who was a writer for the Athens Messenger, who also managed one of their Point Pleasant, uh, their Point Pleasant office, developed a keen interest in Mothman. Now clearly something was going on. Mary was a tough-minded, diligent woman with a fascination for the region's history. She knew just about everything there was to know going back generations. She introduced writer John Keel to the key witnesses of the Mothman case and affirmed that none of them, regardless of how many times she'd heard them retell their stories to reporters or self-styled researchers, none of them changed or added a single word. If anyone had seen the creature, she wrote about it in her weekly column, Where the Waters Meet. Now, maverick ufologist and paranormal researcher John Keel was a tricky, somewhat polarizing figure in a field rife with outsized personalities. Um... Madcap dissertations like Disneyland of the Gods, Operation Trojan Horse, and The Fifth Tower, to name but a few of his books, secure his place as one of the most readable, if also one of the most challenging figure of French journalism, but it's his 1975 magnum opus, The Mothman Prophecies, uh, Mothman Prophecies, based on his experiences in Point Pleasant, 
that would catapult him into mainstream notoriety. Now, as a researcher, Keel lived by the motto, belief is the enemy, which for obvious reasons makes the man's views rather difficult to sum up. But the common thread running through his work appears to be this. From medieval fairy circles to modern-day alien abductions, all paranormal phenomena are related and quite possibly, possibly, the product of a superior intelligence capable of bending human perceptions to its will. Now, why it should want to do this is anyone's guess. But to Keel, fairies, <laughs> spirits, demons, werewolves, Bigfoot, river monsters, flying saucers, aliens, shadow people, yes, even Mothman, are all simply an array of disguises donned by this intelligence for the purposes of, it, of amusing itself at our expense, at best. I mean, I get that. Now, in 1966, <laughs> it proved to be a banner year for strange aerial phenomenon in the Ohio River Valley, and Keel was on the case. Naturally enough, the unfolding Mothman saga caught his interest. Shortly after his arrival in Point Pleasant, Keel, with Mary Heyer's help, organized a small expedition of witnesses to check out the abandoned power plant in the TNT area, which by Here's then, our ghost hunt. Mm-hmm, which by then authorities had now kept locked up with a, with a makeshift fence. Right. Mary's niece, Connie, was among the adventurers, as was Mary Millette. Mary Millette was one of the first witnesses in the okay. truck yeah, that, okay. that was written about. So there's two Marys. Um, daunted Thanks, by, Marys. <laughs> daunted by an oppressive feeling of dread as they approached the area, the majority of the witnesses opted to stay behind near <laughs> the, the gate while Connie and another man, uh, her future husband Keith, as out, slipped inside the gate with Keel to investigate. I love that. Everybody's like, y'all, uh, you guys go ahead. We'll be, we'll just... Let's hold up the fort out here by the gate. <laughs> you guys do We're it. Just, well, uh, we'll keep an eye out. Well, it's a good thing they did. Um, so after searching for half an hour, Connie suddenly shrieked that she glimpsed the unmistakable red eyes darting behind a rusted boiler within inside the power plant. Oh. Keel ran over and shone his powerful flashlight. It was a military flashlight, okay. so really, really serious, intense beam. He shone his powerful insight, a uh, flashlight, <laughs> and powerful insight. Uh, in <laughs> his that insight direction. had him shine the flashlight. <laughs> but there was nothing there, and he and uh, Keel is at pains to describe the scene and be like, "Yeah, and there's also nothing she could have possibly mistaken for two red eyes. There's right. just nothing. This is like an empty room with some rusted boilers." She's either seeing wall. something that's not there or she's seeing something that's not there anymore because it ran away. Ooh, right. <laughs> now back outside, the others who were waiting by the gate said they'd seen someone running toward the woods after a loud metallic bang neither Keel nor his companions had heard inside. Hmm. Around this time, as they were trying to figure out what was going on, blood began to trickle ever so slightly from Mary Millette's <gasps> ear. Her ear! The group, already uneasy, was like, fuck it. We're going. Yeah. And that was that. Now, well, what's wrong with her ear? Uh, they never found out. <gasps> she never busted a drum. Nothing. Nothing. It was like, it just started bleeding. It was weird. <sighs> uh, now, Keel began to suspect that UFOs were somehow connected to this, though no one had reported seeing strange craft in or around Point Pleasant. Once Keel followed his hunch and started asking around, dozens of witnesses came forward who'd simply been reluctant to get mixed up in the Mothman media circus by muddying it up with UFO reports. Right. Turns out, West Virginia had been a hot spot for this kind of phenomenon for months. Strange lights appeared in the sky, for example, over Camp Conley Road with such regularity um, that Keel could set his fucking watch by them. Oh, wow. Once that cat was out of the bag, UFOs were the order of the day. As with the old TNT area, cars began lining the road every night for miles to see the show. Seldom did they not happen. Like, I mean, hundreds of people wow. be like, there they go. 
um, there were people who lived in the path of these things that would like go out every night and be like, there they are. It was weird. It was fuck. And this is just a, these were some of the regular lights. There were still all yeah. sorts of independent little thing. People like we're out of field and we'd see this fucking light or we'd go over here and we'd see this. Um, Mary Heyer, uh, began getting calls day and night from people all over the region, eager to share their encounters with flying saucers. There had to be a connection with Mothman. There just had to be. As if that weren't enough, the notorious men in black showed up to make things even weirder. Now, far from the good guys portrayed by Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones in the 1997 movie. um, That's just a movie. They're not the real ones. Yeah, these... Please don't tell them that they're in our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Now, these, um, these Saturnine characters behaved like fucking lunatics. They would bang on doors in the middle of the night, claiming to sell magazine subscriptions. They'd crop up in diners trying to read menus upside down and showcasing a profound ignorance of how eating utensils worked. One oddball calling himself Tiny... Who was mm. actually looked like he was about three hundred pounds and about you know six and a half feet tall gained entry into one witness's home on the pretense of being with something called the quote missing heirs bureau. He had bulging thyroid eyes, one of which appeared to be glass, mm. and an oval shape uh, shaved into his head uh, beneath the brim of this weird Russian-style hat he was wearing. Now, while wheezing through a series of increasingly bizarre personal questions to the witness, this colossal man, who easily weighed over 300 pounds, grew a deep shade of red and had to (laughs) guzzle down a glass of water to regain his composure. After all was said and done, he went on his way, though no car was waiting for him outside, and this was in the middle of fucking nowhere in the dead of winter. Wow. Now, his dwarfish, stuttering counterpart waddled into Mary Heyer's office one afternoon to grill her about John Keel. How long had they known each other? Were they romantically involved? They weren't. Um, Was she aware that Keel was a pathological liar? The funny, bug-eyed little man in the ill-fitting black suit agonized over the simplest questions, uh, his grating, high-pitched voice snagging on every syllable. There were traces of an accent Mary couldn't place, a, ball pen, a ballpoint pen on her desk seemed to distract him unduly. At last, he asked her, what would you do if someone told you to stop writing about UFOs? The 50-year-old firebrand shot back with, tell them to go to hell. <laughs> he cackled weirdly, snatched the ballpoint pen, and scurried out of the office like a man possessed. Weird. <laughs> Mary called around and was like, are there any mentally unbalanced people that are out and about? Does anyone else see them? No one else has seen them. But he would t- he would turn up again and again and again. Mm-hmm. This guy. And these are just the the circus just stories. Can you no. imagine? You know those guys would have been on YouTube nowadays. <laughs> We've been like, what are they talking about? It makes no sense. But yet still, there would be people who are like, everything they say is right. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> Relevant. Um, <laughs> Hashtag whoopsies. (laughs) Now, other witnesses were barraged with strange phone calls, noises similar to what Deputy Halstead heard interrupting the police dispatcher on November 15th screeched through phone receivers all over Point Pleasant. One couple came home after a night out to find their teenage daughter frantic. Some crackpot, she said, had been calling the house nonstop, piping what sounded like a sped-up record so loudly down the wire it could be heard from outside. Wow. Just two weeks before the Silver Bridge collapse, Mary wrote to Keel, because they kept up a correspondence. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, Keel went back and forth to, to the Ohio River and New York. And this lived. is all like, 
All in the span middle, of 13 months. Yeah. Oh, it's 13 months. Because I keep yeah. hearing November, so. Yeah. But well, November is when the, the massive sightings happen. But then okay. Heel came on board a little after this, and then for the months following is when, like, the Mothman sightings seemed to start being replaced by UFO sightings. Okay. The Mothman would come up occasionally, but now it was mostly UFOs and then Men in Black. So it was, like, Mothman for, like, November, and a little bit in December, and then and then UFOs, and then and and then men in black stuff and then just mm-hmm. all kinds of weird shit and then so um so mary and and keel kept in touch because keel would still come back down every couple of weeks and they would go out together there's he talks about a lot in the book about them going out together to like there's been a sighting here let's go and see this ufo and they would see something and they would sometimes like keel would like shine his light at it and it would respond like it's fucking weird that is really weird in my mind right now this is what has happened mm-hmm. uh mothman come Attract the aliens because they pick up something weird. They know something's about to happen in this mm, town. Mm, mm. Mothmen go, whoever they are, perhaps they're aliens, perhaps not, but it gets the attention of the alien proportions. Mm-hmm. And, and then the Men in Black, which is the movie that this is, um, <laughs> they show up because the aliens are there and they got to figure it out, but they have some new some new people working as, as the Men in Black and they are aliens that are trying to be the men in black and they're working for the men in black because <laughs> the men in black are trying to like embrace new people uh, and new, new aliens, but they have to have a certain look and they're just some of it's, it's the comedic parts in the movie where they're trying really hard to fit in, but they're just terrible at it. Well, it's really funny because <laughs> in the opening of the book, the Mothman prophecy, Keel opens with a really a startling story about a couple living in the middle of Point Pleasant, living out in the middle of nowhere on the outskirts of Point Pleasant, mm-hmm. which is living in the middle of nowhere, within the middle of nowhere. Right. And um, in one dark and stormy night, this fucking drenched guy in a black suit and a weird kind of beard with a, that sort of saturnine, evil look mm-hmm. comes to their door at like 2 a.m. and wants to use the phone. And the wife is like, uh, no, talk to my husband. The husband's like, fuck off. And the guy goes on his way. And they, then they start telling that story around. Like, yeah, when once the, the story of the MIBs, which John Keel coined that term. Mm-hmm. Black oh, comes largely from him. And he's not the only one that used it. But uh, he is credited for being one of the first people to like say, like, yeah, men in black, they, they seem to come on uh, in the wake of these incidences and stir shit up either to right. scare they usually usually scare witnesses right. into into shutting up about it which has the effect of actually making them talk more so they seem to know that it, it's weird like whatever their motives are they just seem to want to muddy the waters right um because some people claim they're from the government keel does not believe they're from the government keel and most people that believe in mibs don't they think that they are there's something else entirely right. some kind of entity that's that's actually been with us historically for a very very long time i could do a whole fucking episode on the men in black and their historical like maybe you should you should you should probably do that then i'm kind of afraid to um then you should definitely you're supposed to do what you're afraid of i thought fear stood for fuck everything (laughs) (laughs) i guess it doesn't say what direction you should that's true run towards Um, the investigations and so uh i'm I'm kind of getting off on a tangent here about the men in black but Mm -hmm. it's really interesting that uh um that story that the mm-hmm. book opens with about this couple seeing this this mm-hmm. creepy men in black come and they they tell that story for months and Keel's like that was me <gasps> uh, that they saw oh, and wow. he's like I I just mentioned that to illustrate that some you know stories can take on a life of their own so what you see yeah. is not always you know he what was you the get. men in black he well he was the one the one he man himself in black. had and there's he was the Johnny Cash the rest of them are weird yeah <laughs> 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 um. So Mary and Keel had this correspondence they'd been keeping up while uh, whenever Keel was back in New York, and Mary started writing to him that she'd had a horrible dream 
about Christmas presents floating in the Ohio River. Now, the image of that itself was harmless enough, but the feeling of dread that came with this image in the dream was anything but. And she wasn't the only one having these dreams. A lot of people were. Many of them were people that had had encounters with either UFOs or with Mothman in mm -hmm. the months prior. Something was about to happen. She could feel it. The whole town could feel it. A few days later, Keel himself, now back home in New York, got a phone call around 1 a.m. A slow, metallic voice on the other end told him tragedy would strike Point Pleasant before Christmas. Keel told Mary to be on the lookout and let him know if she heard anything similar. Then on December 15, 1967, 13 months to the day from the first reported Mothman sighting, the Silver Bridge gave out and killed 46 people. Following this, the infamous cryptid and all the other weird shit started falling off sharply. People just mm -hmm. didn't see as much anymore. Now it's quite possible that they just weren't focused on that anymore. Right. Um, it's also possible that the bridge had something to do with why they were there and that, mm -hmm. that, that purpose accomplished, whatever that purpose why was. Why 13 months, too? That's weird. 13 months to the day. Yeah, that is really When weird. the first recorded sighting came out. Because people came out later, and it was... The yeah, even though they weren't the first to see him, the the four teenagers that mm -hmm. saw him that night on November fifteenth, like theirs was easily the most dramatic sighting that had happened at that point because the other two were just like a, a few grave diggers saw somebody, yeah, um, like they were hang gliding <laughs> in right. the trees, and some other guy saw something in his yard, but um, but that is not the last we will hear of Mothman. Now mm -hmm. Keel died in two thousand nine. Okay, uh, may he rest in peace. But um. There are other Mothman sightings that are far more modern. Um, in fact, on September 10th, 1978, this is an example, in Freiburg, Germany, a group of coal miners were making their way, were making their way toward the mouth of a mine on the outskirts of town to begin their shift. Waiting for them at the entrance was what from a distance looked to be a tall, powerfully built man wrapped in a trench coat. Haranguing the man as they approached to clear off, they were startled when, you guessed it, a pair of large bat-like wings Enough. unfolded from its back. The creature let out a deafening shriek, jangling them into their core. They would later describe the sound as being like one of ten men, or fifty men, rather, screaming all at once, underscored by the emergency brakes of a train. Oh, and no. The miners fled in terror, taking Stephen King's advice. Yep. Uh, an hour later, an explosion from deep within the mine triggered a cave-in <gasps> that would have certainly killed the men had they been at their posts. Wow. Uh, Maybe they just got better at, at warning well, people of things. A decade earlier in 2007, reports, uh, excuse me, a decade earlier, decade, decades later. I was like, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> it's time. Time slip. Um, <laughs> in uh, 2007, reports of Mothman sightings flooded Minnesota months before the collapse of the I-35 West Mississippi River Bridge on August mm. 1st. 13 people were killed in that disaster. 145 were injured. One woman claimed to have seen the creature in the vicinity of the bridge itself shortly before the collapse. Her description lined up. Tall, humanoid, 10-foot wingspan, capable of flying at incredible speeds despite its size. Um, as recently as June of 2018, a guy named John... What? Uh, 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 two, uh, 2018. John, yeah. A guy named John That was Armitrano, last June. Sorry, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a guy named John Armitrano of Chicago was stepping outside for, I assume, to smoke a cigarette while working the late shift at a local wine bar. Above him, a commercial jet came in for a landing at nearby O'Hare. He did a double take while looking at it to notice a humanoid figure flying rather awkwardly beneath it. He later described the oddity to reporters as, quote, almost like a pterodactyl? Uh -huh. Um, Amatron's experience wasn't unique. Since 2017, 
55 Chicago residents have reported seeing the same exact thing. Now, here's where it gets really fucking crazy. Uh, Among the most harrowing things to come out of the devastating earthquake and subsequent tsunami off the coast of Tohoku, Japan, on March 11th, 2011, was the infamous Fukushima plant meltdown. Right. Right? Yeah. Days after the tsunami, the internet was abuzz with reports from both natives and foreign nationals of a Mothman-like creature (gasps) haunting the skies near the plant. Now, four experts had come in uh, to assess the threat level of the damaged reactors, uh, and they recoiled while on site at a loud noise coming out of nowhere, not unlike the brakes of a city bus, they said, in dire need of repair. They looked up to see Mothman perched on top of one of the buildings. Its large red eyes, they said, appeared to glow with an inner light. It rose into the air, banked sharply toward them, and soared over the group mere feet above their heads. Uh, they, of course, ran away in terror. Inside the building that it had been perched on top of was one of the reactors that would fail catastrophically just days. Oh, my God. And that... Uh, like, I looked that up, and I was so, like, no fucking shit, like, Mothman, and that's, like, you can go back to when the tragedy happened, when uh-huh. the meltdown happened, and people were making those so, reports. So, hold up, like, so in Chicago, mm-hmm. they've been seeing the Mothman since June. Since 2017. June is just when uh, Amatrano saw him on 2018. Oh, okay. But, like, when his story came out, other people came forward and said, yeah, I've seen I've it, too, so, since last year, the year before that. So, since 2017, people in Chicago, like, 55 people have seen Mothman in Chicago. In just the past two years. But nothing has happened. Not yet. Just, like, be aware of your surroundings, Chicagoans. I know. No, no. I know. Oh, my God. I have to look at me like, maybe something did happen in Chicago. We just don't know about it. Maybe. Maybe it didn't make the news. Man. This is the past... I mean, to be fair, the past few years have been a really hard news cycle to break into. That's true. That's very true. I could just... I mean, there's a lot of violence in Chicago, too, but... Wow. But isn't that strange? That is very strange. And stories of creatures like giant birds, uh, garudas, or garudas they're called, are go back hundreds of years of cultures seeing these giant birds that portend disaster. Wow. Harpies. Harpies, yeah. Um, Or the humidities. Uh, like it's or like Garuda's like it's fucking weird. That is really it's weird. weird. But I highly recommend reading John Keel's book. Now John Keel is thought by some of his contemporaries to have been a bit of a trickster, but there's so much corroborating evidence from yeah, people that's like more Mary than... Hire and other people that it's like mm-hmm. okay, like maybe he embellished a little bit, like all good writers do, because he was known to not let truth get in the way of a good story. But right. he didn't just fabricate the shit out yeah. of nowhere. He may have just dressed it up for the purposes of. You know, <laughs> making a deadline. <laughs> but at least but he still, didn't coin the term Mothman. That's true. Wow. I should do an episode on the Men in Black. You should. Yeah, I, uh, last podcast on the left did one. Oh, uh, they're still going. They're fine. They're they so survived it. Good. Well, I don't know. I should. <laughs> maybe they're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> they didn't want it. It's, but it's fat. The Men in Black story is fucked up. It goes like it involves like Aleister Crowley. Oh, and, wow. and like the devil and like fairy like it goes back and back and back you're like this is some crazy shit it even goes back to it even ties into Twin Peaks and wow. the sort of occult mythology okay. around the show yeah I feel like you should probably do that then I think I have my next subject alright great, great. <laughs> I hope um, no one comes and visits me and tells me to stop writing stop moving it 
Um, well, by the time this this episode comes out, you'll have already done the research, so they won't even know that you're doing it. Except for all of the like searching don't, your don't your laptop. Yeah, that's true. They seem to move. They, I know what I was thinking. They seem to be able to move sideways in time. So that's true. Very true. They've probably already <sighs> visited me, and I just don't remember because they buzzed me with that little light. That's true. Won't let you remember. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the wow, moment. Thank you. Thank you. Um, food for, for thought there. I know. I am. Uh, I can't do anything till I pee. I have to pee so bad. Yeah. Okay. Pee. All right. So my story, because you told me you're doing the Mothman prophecies already. Yes. Or the Mothman, not the Mothman prophecies. Well, but I took heavily from the Mothman prophecies. Right. And so knowing that's the movie that I'd seen, I kept thinking, you know, I wonder if there is. Sorry, my my Moscow mule is bubbling at me. Is it, is it talking? It needs a up. It's like a drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was. It was going. I know. It's weird. Um, you should take a the spirit was calling me. <laughs> you are it. in touch with the spirit. I am, and the puns. Okay, so <laughs> I was like, you know, I bet there's some hauntings that happened around there, but I didn't, you know, I didn't want to do anything that you were already going to do. Oh, so it just made me think of haunted like film sets that we've heard about. Yeah. So I am going to do a bunch of different haunted <laughs> film sets. So uh, they're not all going to be complete. It's just a little fun. A, divot a into sampler, a will, sampler, like a flight, of a flight hauntings. of hauntings. I believe we're. I did. I stopped at sixteen, <laughs> fifteen or <laughs> sixteen. Round probably. number. Yeah, we'll see as is we it go a through. Number. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so number one is Annabelle. Ooh. Okay, so we all know Annabelle is about the haunted doll. Based it's a real doll. On, yeah, right. it's a real doll. Okay, so two major paranormal events hit the set of Annabelle. First, during pre-production, J- director John R. Leonetti reported seeing and taking a picture of a of what looked like three free fink. I can say it. There's like three <laughs> Moscow mules in me, but I can do this shit. It's fine. Don't judge me. <laughs> I'm, I'm judging. Okay. <laughs> S- taking a pic, like I literally, he was going to go get another one, and I was like, oh, he's like, I've ma- been making them light, and I was like, really? And he's like, you want this one stronger? And I was like, oh no, no, <laughs> he's very tall, uh, so his his light is my strong. I can okay, take a lot. Yeah, oof, then that means on so many levels, Michael, so many. <laughs> okay, so the director. Leave me alone. Le- yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go um, <laughs> John Leonetti, right, director, he saw and took a picture of three fingers drawn through the dust along the window, backlit by the full moon. Notably, the demon of Annabelle has three fingers slash talents. So the, the picture, like, is of actual three fingers, not just, like, the trace? Yeah, it's, no, 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 it's a, it's the trace of what looked like basically claws in the dust. Oh, 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 I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so freaked him out, freaked him out. The second thing is uh, producer Peter Safran can attest that while the three fingers drawn through the dust might not be all that other supernatural event. Wait, hold on. Might not be all that. (laughs) Commas are important. (laughs) Another supernatural event that occurred is much harder to write off. Okay. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Peter said the following. We shot in this amazing old apartment building near near Koreatown and we had some funky stuff go down. 
In particular, the first day that the demon was shooting in full makeup, we brought the demon up in the elevator. He walks out and walks around to the green room where we're holding the talent. And just as he walks under, a giant glass light fixture is being followed by the actor playing the handyman of the building. And all of a sudden, the entire glass light fixture falls down on his head the janitor's head and in the script the demon kills the janitor in that hallway oh totally freaky uh, okay yeah yeah so it was the actual janitor the, the no the the guy playing the, guy the, janitor, playing the janitor was following like, the demon and this shit fell on his head in the hallway where later they would film him being killed by the demon so the real demon is just helping him run through lives i guess so it's just rehearsal it's nice. just, just consider it <laughs> it's like let me help yeah. you get in the scene. Yeah. Ooh. So, I know. The real-life like Annabelle... you scene partner up in there. I know. Well, haven't we all? Uh, the real-life Annabelle lives in Lorena and Ed Warren's occult museum, say, stored safely inside a glass case with a sign warning visitors to leave the door locked. It looks nothing like the doll in the movie. No, it's, it's a, a raggedy Ann. Raggedy Ann doll. Mm-hmm. Really giant raggedy Ann doll. That is quite terrifying. Yeah. Itself. Yeah. But at least it doesn't have those eyes that open and close. Ugh. A priest visits the museum and blesses the doll regularly as well. Mm. Yeah. They've had that doll for quite a while. Okay, so, number two. Okay. The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. These, <laughs> these are good. The Exorcist was notoriously wrought with challenges before, during, and after its release. Yep. For example, fainting audience members, public denouncements by clergy... Initially, kept reading that it's denome, and I was like, "Wait, that's not <laughs> denoma." No, de- oh, denouncement. Public denoma, by I get it. <laughs> Serious cast member injuries and reports of stalking. Yes. However, there is one incident that stands out. They had created two sets on one soundstage. One was for the McNeil House, and one the other one was for Reagan's bedroom. Mm-hmm. She's the girl with the vomiting and the pea soup and the twisting of the head. If we all remember her correctly, yes. yes. The fire is believed. Linda Blair. Linda Blair, yeah. It is believed to have been caused by a pigeon flying into a light box. Some would call it a winged creature with talons. I would say that those people are reaching, but still. The McNeil home set was destroyed by the fire that was caused by a fucking pigeon. And the production had to shut down for six weeks to rebuild. Damn. Strangely, the severe fire somehow managed to leave the demonic bedroom entirely untouched. Uh, they eventually asked a Jesuit priest to bless the set. Freakin believes this event to be the only part of his exorcist experience related to some kind of bad karma. However, other people believe it was cursed. Here are a few of those these are for you, Michael. Uh, thank you. Stop while on set, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, it's fine. Uh, while on set, Ellen Bernstein suffered a permanent spinal injury mm-hmm. during a stunt gone wrong while shooting a scene where Reagan throws her from the bed. That was her real scream of pain that was used in the film. Yep. Uh, nine deaths are connected in the film, including Jack McGowan, who plays Burke Dennings, Linda Blair's grandfather, a night watchman on set, and special effects expert. McGowan died one week after the release of the movie. During the film's Rome premiere, lightning struck a 400-year-old cross atop a nearby 16th-century church. Aim was off. Yeah. Um, Then we have the next, number three. Okay. And it seems more cursy. More cursy? What is it? The Omen. Oh, Oh, the Omen was some shit. Here we go. 
The set of the omen is said to have been cursed by an evil being that followed the cast and crew. Animals on the set even reacted to this evil spirit, but we'll get to that in just a second. On multiple occasions, a faulty camera used to film shots flashed the message, Error 666. However, Error 666 does not exist as a message number. It does now. On top of that, the original omen had tons of freaky shit. Many people believe it was cursed. Here are a few things that went down Uh for the original. Okay. In June 1975, just two months prior to filming The Omen, lead actor Gregory Peck's son shot himself. Yes. Then, while flying to London in September, Peck's plane was struck by lightning. Mm -hmm. A few weeks after that, Mm -hmm. executive producer Mace Neufeld was on a plane to Los Angeles that was also struck by lightning. (laughs) <laughs> and after that, fly through storm. I know. After that, producer Harvey Bernhard narrowly escaped being struck by lightning while filming in Rome. He carried a cross around the set and said the devil was at work and he did not want that film to be made. Which doesn't make sense. It seems like the devil would want that film to be made, but who knows? Well, except it, tell, it gives away his plan. I know. Yeah, the it's true. Like, I don't want people knowing this. Now I gotta go back to the drawing board and fucking figure out another right. way to the Antichrist. Ah, did yeah. you know I've always been? Not always. I have almost been struck by lightning six times in my life. The, it's the, they say you only get struck once, but normally if you get struck once, you're more likely to be struck again. Well, I've never st- actually statistically, been struck, but I've been close to being struck. Really? Enough, like where one uh, lightning has struck within seven feet of me. Uh, what are you doing? Why are you not inside? Well, I mean, I was on all the uh, on every one of these occasions. I was running inside. Mm. I was in the process of trying to find cover. All right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I don't wear a watch. Watches don't work on me. Oh. Like no, old, you're old electric. Watches. Digital digital watches are fine, but uh, like Fitbits and stuff. But uh, like an old like regular watch, normal like watch, an old, like Rolex or something. Not that I've ever had a Rolex, but like an old like watch um, with gears and shit. They do not work. Oh. Like they'll they'll break within a few days. Of so day. if we're ever in a storm together, you're on your own. I'm literally going to be your lightning run. Yeah. Well, I guess you are very tall. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that's why. <laughs> it's true. Um, okay, so, so sorry. Sorry. back to the omen. The crew had planned to charter a plane to get some aerial shots, but had to switch at the last minute due to a scheduling conflict. The original plane ended up crashing, killing everyone on it. So right now, I just feel like it's it's mostly like narrowly being saved by something not necessarily yeah it sounds like maybe they were hashtag blessed. i know blessed <laughs> hashtag blessed <laughs> it's a fine line between blessing and curses that's true uh director richard donner's hotel was bombed by the ira the day after they shot the safari park scene oh, they said the irs and i was like god they were aggressive i know days. i know it's okay. sometimes feels like that now um <laughs> a zookeeper at the safari park was killed in the lion area which also happened the day after filming there the stuntman, standing in for Peck, was attacked by Rottweilers during the graveyard scene. They managed to bite through the protective gear he was wearing. And these were trained Rottweilers, mm-hmm. too. So it's, it was very strange. Alf Joint, which is my favorite name I maybe ever <laughs> heard. Joint. Here, heretofore, we call him Alien Hash. <laughs> uh, Anyway, he was a stuntman working on the film. He was injured on the set of his next movie when he fell awkwardly from the top of a building during a stunt. He claimed that he felt he had been pushed by an unseen force. 
After the omen wrapped, the special effects director John Richardson and his assistant Liz Moore, which this is one probably most people have heard, moved on to a film, A Bridge Too Far. While filming that in the Netherlands, they were in a serious car accident that happened on Friday the 13th. Richardson survived, but Moore was decapitated. This was especially eerie since Richardson was responsible for the infamous decapitation scene in The Omen. Right before the accident, Richardson reportedly saw a road sign showing the distance to a Dutch town that read, Omen, 66.6 kilometers. Yeah, that one gets me. That one gets me. That's a little too coinky-dink. A little bit. A little bit. Even The Omen remake was affected. You know the scene where we learn that the kid's the Antichrist because of the birthmark, yada yada, spoilers? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, it's called The Omen. Right. Uh, well, after spending the entire day shooting it, director John Moore claims nearly all of the footage was murdered! <laughs> by men. Okay, so it was lost. <laughs> you said there's a, murdered. There's a rather dramatic word there. I know. It, it was felt appropriate. I was like, what? The footage was murdered? Oh, wait, you can't murder Yeah, it footage. just was lost. Here's how. I mean, you can kill it. So an accident in the processing lab destroyed 13,500 feet of film, which is a shit ton for those. It's a technical shit ton. It's a technical shit ton. Yeah, it was so bad that the lab techs who were processing it were left in tears because they had no idea what happened to it. And they had to reshoot the entire scene. Yeah. What's doing that? Like, why? If it's some evil... Is it the devil? Because I think, like, the devil would be like, this is going to make me look great. Like, I know. Like, you're going to love this, this movie get and get into it. It's like... Mm-hmm. You know, I don't... It, I don't know. Maybe it's like, there's just the collective... Who knows? Unconscious. Like, I, I know. Mean, like, are knows? they creating it? Are they, yeah. Are they I don't know. doing it in some weird quasi-unconscious telepathic poltergeist activity kind of way? Because they're... We'll get to the poltergeist. Out. Oh, I know all about I know the poltergeist you do. stuff, but that's such a Okay, so sorry. If I did that one, did I... Do, hold on, let me scroll through. I feel like I'm, I kept thinking, <laughs> maybe I should just wait. No, I did it. I definitely okay. did it. Okay, okay. So, number four. Some of these are shorter than others. Uh, the Nun. Ah, yes. Which is another in the in the Conjuring, the Conjuring series, right? series. While filming a sequence in the narrow hallway of a real-life Romanian castle, director Corin Hardy recounts stepping into a side room to allow a camera to pass. When he entered the dark space, he saw two men sitting at the back of the room. He assumed they were crew members. Corin stayed in the room for one take and, upon completion, turned to speak with the men. But they were gone. In a room with only one way in and one way out, Corin was understandably terrified Ooh. i know number five the ring no the, the remake the original uh, or the remake sorry oh, the remake. American remake. yeah um either one is fucking terrifying yeah, um real good this is one that my mom's always like it's a vampire because that's her answer for everything that steals any kind of energy <laughs> it's, it's a, vampire. a vampire um okay so it's not a long one but after filming one scene the cast noticed that there was a ghostly apparition in the corner of the screen they still use the take in the movie and no one has been able to explain what it is I want to see it. I know, we can probably Google it. Let's Google it. Google I didn't have time because okay. I'm going through a whole bunch. I know, but, but I want to, I want to see Google it. it. Bookmark that. The ring. All right. The ring. The scene. There's a scene. The ghostly apparition in the corner of the screen. Okay. Ooh. Number six. Okay. Rosemary's Baby. Yes. This Mia Farrow starring classic is considered by some to be the most misfortunate movie in history. Mm-hmm. Numerous tragic deaths, including the murder of director Roman Polanski's wife, Sharon Tate, by members of the Manson family, plagued the film's cast and crew following its successful release although the murders happened a full year later 
So that's something to keep in mind. It happened a year after it came out. Right. But we've touched on this before. Mm -hmm. The coincidence is that Manson used Helter Skelter from the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And John Lennon was also killed outside the building where he lived and Rosemary's baby was filmed. The Dakota. Mm-hmm. The Dakota. After receiving death threats over the film's satanic themes, producer William Castle suffered kidney failure thanks to a bunch of kidney stones and was rushed to the hospital. Castle mentions in one particular letter he received, read, Bastard, believer of witchcraft, worshiper at the shrine of Satanism, my prediction is you will slowly rot during a long and painful illness which you have brought upon yourself. Letters, the original Twitter. Okay, so. <laughs> what a good Christian. I know. So they're all, yeah, the ones that reach out like that are always so helpful. Um, what would Jesus do? Probably tweet him about how awful he is. <laughs> um, okay, so. <laughs> as Jesus would be so mad. So mad like, at you. Like, Jesus you. hates you. He wants to dox you. That's Jesus. Um, <laughs> as a result of his illness. <laughs> uh so, okay, Castle experienced hallucinations of scenes from the film and was said to have one point, at one point, screamed. And and this may be, dur- I've seen it's during a surgery, just while he's passed out, something like that. But he screams out of nowhere, Rosemary, for God's sake, drop the knife. Now, it could be said that it makes sense for a producer's subconscious to bring up this during recent work in a moment of tra- trauma and turmoil and shit right, like that. Right. But still creepy as fuck. Uh, yeah. He survived, actually, but he was never again part of a major hit. Unbeknownst to Castle, the film's composer, 38-year-old Christoff, Chris, there's a lot, it's, it's, I forget the guy's name, he's, he's, it's, it's Komeda is his yeah. last name, but it's Komeda. a lot of vowels, um, yeah. I mean, not vowels, a lot of consonants in that second one. So it's he's, like an Eastern European name. Yeah, Chris, Christoff. I think it's stuff. That looks right. stuff. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. So, anyway, while Castle was in the hospital, the composer, Kameda, had been admitted to the same hospital due to a blood clot, which killed him. His death was the result of a brain hematoma eerily reminiscent of what befell Hutch in the film. Yes. But the cause of Kameda's hematoma remains unclear. Did he leave a glove behind? I don't... They didn't say anything dun, dun, dun. about that. Like, creepy. You've seen Rosemary's Baby, right? I actually haven't. I know a lot about it, but I actually haven't. Well, they're able to do that to Hutch because they, they take a glove of his. They take a picture oh. of his. It's, it's very subtle. At some point, he's like, I, I thought I left my glove over here. Oh, well. And then later, Hutch, who's, oh. who's Rosemary's, like, older friend, who's, like, the one that, like, knows stuff about witches, who tells her, like, you maybe want to look into this? Right. This building has a history? Then he falls mysteriously ill and And the building does have a history yes it does listen to the one about the dakota if you haven't listened to it michael goes into the history of the building where they filmed rosemary's well they filmed the exterior they didn't film the interiors though that was oh right the exterior exterior, what it's supposed to look um, like yeah is and a lot of the exterior shots were filmed there because it looks exactly like it's described in the book right okay moving on number seven Mm. the exorcism of emily rose Mm. i know weird Laura Lenny claimed that her TV would turn itself on and off in the middle of the night and star Jennifer Carpenter, who played Emily Rose. This is my favorite one. She, she had a similar complaint about her radio. Apparently, several times it popped on at 3 a.m. And on one night that creeped her out the most, it played the chorus of Pearl Jam's Alive. 
Oh. It only played oh. that single, The oh, I'm, I'm Alive, I'm Still Alive. I'm, I'm, I'm still, still alive. alive. And it's, I mean, to be fair, it's a very long time that he sings about being, I'm still, oh, I'm alive, I'm still alive, that kind of thing. But creepy. Can it you like fucking imagine? It's like, I'm still alive, <laughs> but you're not. Except for, no. It's so bizarre, though. Unless they know something about death that we don't. Or they might, because they're dead. Right. But I mean, it's the exorcism of Emily Rose. So, who knows <laughs> if it was a ghost <laughs> that was saying it. Oh, my God, it's so good. I didn't know this one. Yeah, the, that was the, a good exorcism, one. Uh, the Exorcism of Emily Rose is a good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I hear that. It's, yeah. it's one of the better ones okay. in recent years about Exorcisms. that topic. Yeah. Uh, number eight, The Conjuring. The first in the series of The Conjuring movies. It's so good. It's, it's so good. I had no interest in watching it. Mm-hmm. And it came on in a hotel room. And we're like, uh, and I was like, oh well, fuck, we'll watch it. It was only like, it was clearly the beginning. So I was like, oh, right. well, I haven't Wonderful. missed anything. We'll watch yeah. it. And I was fucking, I couldn't look away. It yeah. was so, it's so fun, so, so good. good. Okay, and of course, it's based on one of uh, the uh, Warren's, Warrens like real experience. What they yeah. consider their most terrifying over Amityville was the Conjuring. Yeah. So okay. When members of the real-life Parham family visited the set, so that it's about this family living in this house, the real-life family came to visit the set. And when they got there, they were greeted by a gust of wind. The wind did not affect the trees or anything around them, just the family. And while they were there, the mother, uh, who was, yeah, I heard it too, uh, <laughs> the mother, um, Carolyn, who was played by Lily, uh, Lily, um... Lily, we love her. Oh, fuck, what's her name? Lily, not, not I can't, Lily. All I can think is Tomlin, and I know that's not right. It's not um, it's, um, We're oh, so good with names. We've been consistent so on this. She's so good, too, but I can't... I'll think of That lady, name, yeah. the mother, who plays the mother in, in, uh, in The Conjuring. So, the real-life mother, she stayed at home because she did not feel... She got just had a bad sense about the set. She didn't want to go to the set. Can't blame her. Yeah, well, if you've seen the movie, fuck that. Okay. <laughs> or if you've lived the story that the movie's based on, fuck that Fuck that, more. too. While she was home alone, she started to feel a dark presence. Oh, shit. And she ended up fall, uh, suffering a very bad fall. Oh, God. At the time, yeah. Oh. Shortly thereafter, the cast and crew had to evacuate their hotel due to a fire. Phone calls between the screenwriters and Lorraine Warren always suffered static and often went dead. Now, it could be that she's just an old lady that lives in a house that's really far away and she just won't get a cell phone. I don't know her history or what she's with cell phones or whatever, but in my mind, she's just like, oh, I can't get it, you know. Or she has a cell phone and she's like in the basement with Annabelle and it's like, well, that shit's not going to work in the basement. Fuck a basement. Well, she didn't take her cell phone with her. Could be. Yeah. So, okay. That happened a lot. It creeped people out. The laptop screen of lead actress Vera Farmiga, who played Lorraine Warren, of course, allegedly and mysteriously showed digital claw marks one day when she opened her computer. What? Yeah. Digital claw marks? Digital claw marks. What does the that actress, even mean? I guess it looked like somebody had scratched the computer from the inside, is kind oh. of what my impression was. She also showed off photos and interviews of what appeared to be claw marks on her thigh after filming concluded on the movie. Oof. She's so good. She's so good. And her sister is the girl from American Horror Story. Which one? Um, there been lots of girls. So, okay, first first season. Okay. She's, I think she's in almost all of them. She's the one that moves into the house. Okay. Yeah, okay, her. Okay, okay. That's her younger sister. Is she, is, the, is she the one that plays the devil in the second one? The second season? She's the nun? The little mousy nun that turns out to no. be Satan? No, okay. no, 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 no. She's, she's in Coven. She's young. She's real young. Okay, okay. Yeah, she's like a teen. Okay. In the first one, she's like the teen girl. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. The one that sees the ghost of the kid. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. 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 That's gotcha. her. And apparently, <laughs> so, I guess she. We did. sound like. We I know. Sound like we sound like our parents. I know. <laughs> so bad. The girl with the thing, and the she thing. looks and like the. the and there's that I don't one know name. The thing in it, and you think I would just happen? It's you know what yeah. I'm talking about. It's a scene. Something happens. And she's got brown hair. Two people in conflict. It moves the story forward. <laughs> anyway, they're supposed to be in one of the next movies together. Ew. I know. I'm sorry. That's a good series. I like. Yeah. I, I, I the conjuring no, I mean, is still my the, favorite. Yeah, yeah, the conjuring. But the series. conjuring and the conjuring yeah. two is pretty goddamn good too. I enjoyed the it. The actor that plays uh, 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 Ed Warren so good, so good too. Yeah, He's so pretty. Yeah, I have such a crush on him. I'm sure Ed Warren from Beyond was like, uh, yes, he should definitely. <laughs> Ed Warren's like, oh, I, I approve this casting mm-hmm. choice. Uh, okay, so... And a hell of an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, director James Wan had an incident where his normally docile dog, here we are talking about animals again, mm-hmm. began barking uncontrollably at one specific spot in his home. Then she said, did something even creepier, he said. She started tracking whatever she was staring at, which was nothing, across the room. I was freaked out. <laughs> That's what he said. Apparently she did this several nights in a row. Nope. Yeah. That's, so when the dog does that, it's time to move on mm-hmm. to another movie. Mm-hmm. Speaking of another movie, number nine, The Innkeeper. Ah, <laughs> give me a segue. It, it was great. The Innkeeper. So I didn't know about this one, but ah, I'm dropping everything. Okay. I don't know the Innkeeper. Yeah. All right. We should. I don't know if we should watch it or not. But here's the history behind <laughs> I mean, it. It sounds like we should. Yeah. When writer director Ty West was shooting his 2009 film House of the Devil, he and his crew stayed in the quirky and old Yankee Peddler Inn. The longer they were there, the more stories they heard about the hotel's strange and possibly haunted history. According to West, he saw doors close by themselves, TVs turn on and off, and lights burn out constantly. He even said that everyone in the crew had extremely vivid dreams every night. He actually wrote a screenplay inspired by those experiences. The Innkeepers, which was then shot on location at the Yankee Peddler. Not a good idea. I mean, it's great for this podcast. As soon <laughs> as soon as the great cr- idea, do yeah, more do of do more of that stuff and let us know so about we have it. More stories to tell. As soon as the crew arrived for filming, strange things started happening. The doors would swing open or slam shut. The lights would switch on and on. Phones would ring, and no one would be on the other line. Sarah Paxton, a star of the film, recalls receiving a tweet from a stranger in the middle of the night, telling her not to stay on the third floor, which. Of course, is where she was staying. <laughs> She's like, well, I've already got the room. I know. Like, what do I do? God so she it. just didn't Why ask him. you call earlier? <laughs> she didn't tweet back. She was, just was like, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, perhaps the most spooky thing is West's story about how they picked the room to shoot in. In the film, the most haunted room is the honeymoon suite. That's where the ghost stuff started in the hotel. The only reason I picked that room is be- the only reason I picked the room that I picked to shoot in was because it was big enough to do a dolly shot. No more thought went into it other than pure technical reasons. So, when we're finishing the movie, I find out that the most haunted room in real life is the room I picked to be the haunted room in the movie. Could be a coincidence, but it's weird that it happened that way. Ooh. Yeah. And the in- it's called the innkeeper. The innkeeper. It's or the innkeepers. In- innkeepers and the innkeeper and House of the Devil. Mm. Both of those. Okay. Now, House of the Devil, I, I know that one. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah, that's where they stayed when they filmed it. And, and so much nice. shit happened and there. I, I, House they, of the Devil is good. Yeah? I don't wanna, uh, yeah. It's, okay. it's, it's a slow burn, but it's really well, good. Well, you know I'm not big on the devil and demon and, and stuff uh, like that, so. <laughs> Unless it's Lucifer, I do like that. Uh, that's I a mean, good show. Who doesn't? It's true. Except 
probably God. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's, that's his thing. Yeah. You can't judge him. Number 10. Nearly. This one was very surprising, and I can't believe I hadn't heard of it. Behind the Candelabra. <gasps> About... With, yes, so... With, that's wait, the, with Michael Douglas playing... Liberace? Yeah, it's, liber, it's a Liberace movie. Of the uh-huh. With Matt Damon and Michael Douglas. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so... It is believed... That the ghost of Liberace haunted the actual set. Of course. Multiple times after finishing a scene, Matt Damon and Michael Douglas would turn to each other and say, Did you feel that? According to the actors, they constantly felt a cold, damp air that reeked of potent men's cologne. <laughs> one time, I know, <laughs> I knew you were going to die with this one. Sorry, of course, of course, this is yeah. how Liberace of course. manifests. Yes. Fabulously. I wish my brother George were here. <laughs> he probably is. One time, Douglas was filming a scene where he was playing a piano, and he actually felt someone caress his shoulder. He quickly turned around to see who it was, but was shocked to see absolutely no one around. The two actors also reported that prop lights would flicker uncontrollably, and a piece of equipment that was carefully secured came crashing down on one, uh, one occasion. Liberace's playing the Phantom of the Opera. I know. He loved that. It's so good. Eleven, the possession. Possession. Yeah, so in the possession, a young girl obtains a box that holds an evil spirit. Oh, the Dybbuk box. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good movie, too. According to Jeffrey Dean Morgan, the one of the actors in the movie. Also an attractive man. Uh-huh. I'm very skeptical because I need proof to base things off. But not only would I not want the box around to, and to tempt fate, but there were enough weird things going on around our set that I've never seen happen on set before. During the middle of filming key scenes, Morgan said strange things would happen. The lights exploded multiple times. And even though they were on a soundstage with no open doors or fans, they would randomly get hit with cold bursts of air. A couple of days after filming, they put all their props in storage in case they needed to do any retakes. However, the building that held all those props was burned to the ground. Investigators inspected the fire and concluded that there was no sign of arson or electrical fires. It was simply unexplained. One thing that burst into flames during the fire was the imitation box that allegedly held the spirit. It's a good one, yeah. Ooh. Number twelve. The real story behind the Dybbuk box. Like yeah. There's there's a there's a real story about a Dybbuk box mm-hmm. that I think, if I'm remembering correctly, inspired the people that the movie. made the movie. Yeah. And it's a it's a fucked up story. It's fucked up. Yeah. Well, I may have, we'll have to that do that another one. Yeah. But Dybbuk boxes are fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the whole concept is just really terrifying. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Number twelve. Number twelve. Introducing Dorothy Dandridge. I know. These are we're getting into movies. I'm like, wow, I didn't. I didn't know. know. That. Yeah, I didn't know I didn't either. Know that That's why I couldn't cursed, stop. You know? <laughs> I couldn't stop myself. I just Some kept of these going. movies. I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah. You know, and of course, you're you're kind of asking for it. Like, right. it's, it's also good of PR. Course. But like, but like, introducing Dorothy Dandridge. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. So Halle Berry uh, portrays Dorothy Dandridge in the television movie. However, she may have received some help with the role from Beyond the Grave. Barry has said that she believes she was visited by the ghost of Dorothy Dandridge herself. According to Barry, there were strange incidents that occurred in her dressing room, and she believes it was related to a white dress that she wore that had once belonged to Dorothy. After filming, she brought the dress home, and the strange things followed her to her home. Hashtag Oscar-winning actresses in white. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
Hashtag bitch, getting white, win that award. <laughs> um, so Barry's housekeeper said she heard the vanity chair moving by itself and the fridge door would fly open on its own. One night, Barry even heard the peculiar sound of water boiling and saw a baby doll's dress floating in midair in front of Dandridge's actual dress. She immediately curled into a ball and realized that, I love that, she curled into a ball and realized that even though she desperately wanted to keep the dress, it had to go. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, 13. The Ghost of Goodnight Lane. Uh, this is Texas shout out. Okay. So, based on director Alan Bijans, B I J A N S, Bijans, Bijans. I want to say Bijans. Bijans sounds classy. Like, yeah. Um, so, the Texas production company known as Media World Studios. Okay. That's his production company, Alan Bijans. Texas production company, Media World Studios. Okay. According to Bijan, we've known for a long time we had a ghost here in the studio. Over the years, we kept a running log, kind of a diary to document incidents as they occurred. Five deaths have occurred at the studio, and apparently some of those spirits still linger. Staff and visitors of the studio reported seeing visions of an unknown male on set. Others have reported heavy equipment being moved all on their own, and one person even claimed to have been slapped by an invisible entity. In 2010, paranormal investigators visited the studio and confirmed through several tests and EVP recordings that the site was indeed haunted. This is what inspired Bijan to create The Ghost of Goodnight Lane. He used the same haunted set to film the movie, and once again, the crew reported seeing flickering lights and fixtures fall from the ceiling. Ooh. Billy Zane even heard voices calling his name. Apparently that happened to, happened to seven, several different actors on the set. They would hear voices oh. calling their name. Oh! Yeah. Oh, my name! Because you're Billy Zane, that's how. <coughs> Excuse me. Number 14. Paramount Stage 19. So, it is not a movie. It is the Stage 19 that has been given the nickname Paranormal Paramount because of its notorious hauntings. Funny enough, Ghost, starring Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore, was filmed on Stage 19. And it makes me wonder if maybe Patrick Swayze's over there, too. But, either way, I hope not. I hope he's, you know, if he's haunting anything, he's haunting something that, you know, different. Anyway. Something sexy. Something else. Something sexy. <laughs> something dancey. Um, but supposedly this stage is haunted as fuck. Really? Yes. I've never heard this one. Security guards working the set at night have stopped suspicious men. Suspicious men. Specific Specific suspicious men who simply smile at them and walk straight through the wall. Ah, oh, I know. Grinners. Oh, the ah, grinners. Others have reported invisible hands brushing their backs and the lights turning off at inopportune moments. One of the most famous stories is that of Heather O'Rourke. She, of course, was the child actress that played the little girl in The Poltergeist mm-hmm. and Heather Fister in Happy Days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was shot, stage 19, Poltergeist was. O'Rourke died at 12 of cardiac arrest and septic shock caused by a misdiagnosed intestinal stenosis and is said to linger around the set. Keep in mind, she did three of these movies. Mm-hmm. So, a well, lot of her three. youth. Like she almost, died while they were filming. She died before it her. came out. I thought they, she died no, they were done it was right before it came out. Like okay. a few months okay. before it was released, yeah. Okay. So, 
she liked playing on the catwalk above the set, and to this day, visitors can still hear her running and laughing up there. Some have even seen her playing on the stage, but if you approach her, she runs away. Which makes me sad, too. Oh. Yeah. That's so creepy yeah. and sad. So that whole stage is super haunted. I wonder why. I just, I guess so many different stuff. It's just a hot spot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that takes us to number 15, Poltergeist. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of Heather and stage 19, Poltergeist. So, Steven Spielberg. So fucking cursed. Yeah. It slashed everything. It's got, it's got a lot of coincidences. I'll tell you that much. Cursed. So Steven Spielberg decided to use real-life skeletons during the muddy pool scene in the first Poltergeist movie because they were cheaper than plastic skeletons, mm-hmm. much like Disney World, uh, Disneyland, um, and the Pirates of the Caribbean. They Disney used, World, too, I think. Disney World. I think it was just land, Disneyland because oh. they got it from the um, the university in L.A. I can't remember which one. L.A. Mm-hmm. University. UCLA. I, UCLA, thank you. The Yeah, from that medical okay. portion. So that's yeah, where they got yeah, it. That's yeah. why it was that. So, okay. Um, apparently, the use of those skeletons came at a price. Spielberg paid with the lives of his cast and crew. That's the rumor. That's what people are saying. That's <laughs> well, why it was cursed. A lot of people did die. A lot of people did Kinda die. Like, like The Exorcist, a lot of people yeah. associated with the production died. Yes, months. Tragically. Tragically. Months after the release of the first film, Dominique Dunn, who played Dana, uh-huh. was murdered by her abusive ex-boyfriend. When it came time to film the second movie, many of the actresses experienced strange phenomena throughout the production, and there was even an exorcism performed on set to rid it of any malevolent spirits. However, Will Sampson, the man who performed the exorcism, died three years later. Julian Beck, or Kane in the movies, died of stomach cancer months before the second film was released. He actually was dying of it. When yeah. He was given so, the role. and what's freaky about, and he was a weird dude. Yeah. Like he, he was. Uh, he was He's kind of the this, guy that looked like he was dying of cancer. Turns out he, he was. was dying yeah. of cancer. And as freaky as he looks in the movie, there's no makeup on him. It's not just mm-hmm. basic powder and foundation for the cameras. Like there's yeah. no makeup. He just looked like that, and he would be on set because he wanted to do it. Like he's yeah. like, this would be this is a great way to go out. I'm yeah. Right. Like this horrific. And he's not. He wasn't wrong. And he's the best thing about that. Yeah, but it's the uh, that I, I don't think you can include that into the curses thing because that's why he did it. Now maybe he encouraged curses of other people, but I don't think. Yeah, it's just, not it's like personally, cool. not like it's, a, it's an interesting, not like he did it. Yeah, tidbit. but I don't think that was. It's morbid, but yeah, and I don't think that he had anything to do with any of these things. No. I don't want that. The way I said it, I was like, oh shit! Now people are gonna be like, send her a strongly worded letter slash tweet. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I lost my spot. Sorry, so Julian. Okay, Julian Beck. He dies. Heather O'Rourke, of course, died a few months before the release of Poltergeist 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, another cast member, Richard Lawson, barely escaped death when his plane crashed in 1992. And Lou Perryman, an actor in the original movie, <coughs> was murdered in 2009 when an, ex-con- when an ex-convict killed him with an axe. That's the, wait, wait. Okay, so one guy nearly died in a plane crash, uh-huh. right? And it's and it's the guy that played the paranormal investigator who rips his face off. I think so. In, or hallucinates yeah. ripping his face off. Yeah. That guy is he got murdered later. Later. In Austin. Oh. Uh, some dude just came up and shot him in the fucking head. Like oh. some crazy guy, like followed him home to his apartment and shot him. So he That's survived crazy. the plane crash. Yeah. And then, like, murder, just like, and this was recent, like, this was maybe 2011 or something. I mean, it's in, like, oh, in the wow. last decade yeah. that he died. I mean, why was that not? Months. I had a modern site. I wonder why they didn't yeah. do that. Yeah, but so, and then someone else got murdered with an axe? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, Luke Perryman, an actor in the original. 
um, in 2009, so it wasn't that far. I mean, I guess, I guess it was nine years ago, but okay. still, ten years ago. Um, I can do math. I'm thinking about maybe the, I may be conflating the two, two into one. Yeah. I thought one. Somebody, I thought someone survived a plane crash only then, then to go on to be murdered. And maybe it is the ex. Maybe yeah. Okay. Well, you've researched it more recently, so you're yeah, probably okay. right. But that's but still fucked up. That's it's a lot people. of. It's a lot of curse coincidences, and I included it for Michael. Thank you. Because the stage was haunted. The actor that played the uh, shaman in the second one also died of lung cancer. Yeah, there was a lot, but then, you know... But again, he was already... He was already, yeah. I don't think he was sick while they were filming, but he was... Probably smoking up a storm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's my thing, is like, it's Hollywood, it's the film industry. There are a lot of bad habits, there are a lot of... Tragic things, and yeah. you know, well, and the story of Dominic Dunn's yeah. murder is really tragic because it happened on a fucking front lawn in front of people yeah. who did nothing. Yeah, pretty and, much. Like, it's it's such a fucked up story, and I hate it. I hate everything about it. But yeah, but so it changed tragic. some laws. So it did. It did at least. And at least you know, California is is more proactive about helping people in that situation than most yeah. states. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, number sixteen, last but not least. Ghost Whisperer. Oh. Okay, it's, it's a TV show. It's not a film. But it counts. It counts. I included it because I knew it. And because Jennifer Love Hewitt has the best coats and the best outfits in that show. <laughs> and so that's why I included it. She does look amazing. I can do what I want. Um, <laughs> it's your content. It's my content. So, okay. If you don't know Ghost Whisperer, it's awesome. It's very episodic. But... She plays a woman who could see and communicate with the dead. Apparently, this intrigued the spirits, and many came to visit her on set. Hewitt and other cast members reported many paranormal instances during the life of the show. Lights would move several inches or burst into a million pieces. Lights are a huge thing with all of these. And you can think, too, I mean, maybe it was a surge, but... On these sets, you have, these are union light people. One person cannot just do a set. They have multiple people that check and double check and triple check. It's, and that's their job. That's it's their, their job. job. And it takes for fucking ever to wait for lights because it's... it's well, because it's, the lights they use are so powerful. They yeah, are dangerous. They are not, dangerous. And so handled properly. It, it, instead of it being like, oh, they would just had too much... Sir, it's hard to say that for all of these because there are so many people with eyes on these different sets and watching over them and everything so just an fyi okay so things would whirl out of control and set props would move or go missing one day hewitt and seven crew members all reported being touched by an unseen entity hewitt felt something tug on her dress and others felt something tug on their sweater or jeans she said they even captured some of these ghosts on film footage they would see people in the shots that weren't actually there and in one event the cast noticed something odd going on behind her while she was acting it looked as though something over her shoulder was moving when she turned around she reportedly saw a shadow the crew checked the film footage and there was a ghostly figure standing right behind Hewitt and that there was a ton of stuff that happens in this particular um this dog is freaking me out. Um, <laughs> the dog has uh, a thing to say. In in her show, because it's a TV series that lasted for years and years. Yeah. Unlike a movie, which is going to be three to four months, maybe. Yeah. This is years of, of work mm-hmm. and, and usually the same set and all of that kind of stuff. So they had a more intimate experience with some of these spirits and stuff like that. But 
Those are, and it's not all of them, and they're not as thorough as they should be because there's so but many. There's a, it's just a little sampler. Like That's what I wanted. Little, it's an appetizer flight. sampler. Yes, it's a flight of. I want to tell a quick spirits. story that you made me think of when you talk oh. about Annabelle. Yes. So the famous, um, she's a movement coach slash acting teacher named Ruth Sapora, uh, who developed a lot of really cool techniques. She's still, she's like in her 80s now. She still teaches her her methods in a in a yurt. Out in uh, fucking Albuquerque, or uh, um, okay, okay, right? I know who you're talking about, yeah. And uh, and she's really, she's just a, this badass woman who who was like really, and she used to do live stage shows that were like one woman shows, but they were completely improv. Mm-hmm. She would just go out, and the, the rule was she would just kind of prepare herself uh, through meditation and and you know practicing presence and things like that, and she would go out on stage. And work with whatever the stagehands had left her to work with. And every mm-hmm. night it was something different. And people would come and see her. And she'd have no story to work off, no script. She'd just going and she's going to improv the whole a one-woman show in front of a live audience based on she has no idea until she starts doing it. It's kind of a brilliant concept. Yeah. So she did it one night. It's either brilliant or, like, fucking awful. <laughs> well, with Ruth Sapora, <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. Okay, she good. is uniquely just attuned mm-hmm. and one night they they put a big doll like a raggedy ann kind of doll Ooh. on a chair and and that was all that was waiting for her when she got on set so she did this whole thing and she just was she was um in her work in her writings she frequently equates presence with like you know you're you're really uh, she she calls um being present as an actor or as an artist um she calls like following impulse she calls like you listen for the invitation she says, you listen mm-hmm. for the invitation. Where where am I going? What am I doing? Listen for the impulse to come. Listen for the invitation. It's a brilliant way to put it. It's kind of creepy. Uh, because she went out and she started, she saw this doll and she just, it's just started kind of talking to her. You know? So she started going, all right, well, this is my friend. We'll say Mary. Mary. No, Alice. It was Alice. She she honed in on the name Alice and she started just telling the story about her and Alice. And here's my name. Like she just started creating the story from whole cloth. Uh, about this doll. She had no idea she was going to do this and she just got swept up in this story and, and she wound up performing this beautiful one-hour monologue based on something uh, that she just did. And then afterwards, she was in her dressing room and she tends to decompress and so people want to come and see you in your dressing room. She tends not to allow that kind of yeah. stuff because she's like, I'm just, I'm in my space. I don't want to be bothered. But the stage manager knocked on her door and said, there's there's a few women here that would really like to come and have a word with you. And she's like, I don't know. I don't want to. And the guy was like, But you do, though. You really do. So she finally, you know, reluctantly agreed to let them come in. And they said, hey, so we're, we came here tonight. This is not the kind of thing we would ever come and see because it's just not really our thing. But it is something that our uh, friend would have loved. And so she died just a few months ago and or like maybe the year before. And to celebrate her birthday... Um, we all decided this would be a really kind of fun thing to go and do in honor of her because mm-hmm. she, she loved your work and she loved this kind of theater. So we'll go and we said, we'll watch it. And um, her name was Alice and you just told her whole life story. <gasps> oh my God! Right down to these little details that, that she had just thought she was making up. And that kind of shit happens to actors a lot though. Yeah, you have to it be really does. So it's fucking crazy. But oh yeah, I just thought that's one of my favorite stories about Ruth Sapora and her yeah. like her techniques work, you guys, but not just for acting. I guess. Be careful <laughs> what you wish for. <laughs> wow. Woo. What a good day. It's a good fun. day. I yeah. like it. We get all kinds of good stuff done. I know. Mules out of I know. awesome cups. Yes. We should go get dinner. We should. Let's go get dinner at a haunted restaurant. Okay. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so I guess that's it. That's it. That's it. We Thank you good. guys for listening. Yes. Um, we really appreciate you mm-hmm. and all of your support. Of course, schoolintentions.com. There's, you know, stuff there. Yep. We're on the iTunes. We're on the Google Play. We're on all of your little options for podcasting. Leave reviews. Yes, good ones only, please. Good ones, yeah. If you don't don't like us, fuck off. Why are you listening? Yeah, yeah. Why are you listening? Fuck you. Um, Just think better with your time. (laughs) Right. But if you're listening and you love us, just take a moment to write a little review. It's very helpful. And and it's we we love it. We love the encouragement. That's right. And for those of you that have, thank you. Yes, we really appreciate it. Um, uh, We, of course, will have a Ghost Schools episode on Thursday. Uh And um, what else? Shirts. Uh, Go to the website to submit uh, your own personal stories to be considered Mm -hmm. for uh, the cold opener for a future episode. Uh, or for to be read on a Ghost Schools episode. Uh, yeah. We tried a, a lot of submissions. We've been getting a lot of submissions. So good. Lately, and they're so fucking good. That's part of why we did the Ghost Schools yeah, thing. It's like we were we getting so many so good much, stuff. And we wanted to give them all, you know, a shout out. So please continue sending those in. You can buy t-shirts from the website. Right. And all sorts of other little goodies. Um, if you care to take a picture of yourself in a Ghoul Intentions shirt, by all means, post it. We will like and share. And I guess now we come to... Quote. Quote. The quote. Quote. Are you ready? All right. Oh, you brought that tall man some flowers. I am. <laughs> I have no idea. It's extraordinarily topical. What? How? Oh, like you've covered it. Um, oh, you brought that tall Okay, so it's from one of the 16 things you mentioned. No, that's no? not what I said. I said it's topical. Well, wait. What is a tall man and flowers topical? I don't know. I'm not the only one who told stories, Michael. Right. Is it from the Mothman Prophecies? No. I haven't seen the movie. Um, Here come the men in black. Is it from the men in black movie? It is. It's Will Smith from Men in Black. <laughs> I nailed it. Yeah. That was a that was a Susan. That was my mom's recommendation. And I've had it all, on the list. Does she think all the aliens in Men in Black are really vampires? She might. <laughs> she might. Um, yeah, no, this one uh, I've just had, and then it was like, oh, that's a perfect quote for today, so I'll just ditch the one I had and then use that later. What was the one you had? I'm not telling you. God damn it. I'm not going to be able to use it again if I tell you. Damn it. I know. I mean, Welcome forget, to though, it. Then I'll, I'll know it, and then I'll look like I know it, so. Fine, uh-huh. whatever. All right. Well, good job. Won't let you remember. <laughs> Are we gonna have to pay people because we've sung that so much? We need to shut up. I don't think we were. I don't think we were in key, so we haven't really. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't we singing it right, so we're parody. fine. We're using it for parody, parody purposes. Parody purposes only. Ha ha ha. It's true. Oh, and also remember, it's, it's okay, okay to sleep with the, the lights, lights on. on.